0: Isn't it good to know that God is with us? No matter what we go through. Individually, or as a church, or as a state, or as a nation. And we're going through some significant, challenging times as a nation. Wouldn't you agree with that? But it's not a surprise. I'd like for you to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. And I'm going to read the first verse. Thirteen verses or so. It's an interesting description of what's going on today. It's, it's very apropos. 2 Timothy chapter 3, it's written by Paul to Timothy, his protege, uh, the, the individual that Paul discipled and then helped to minister. 2 Timothy 3.1 But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control. Brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away. That was written almost 2,000 years ago. Isn't it a pretty good description? Of what has taken place in America today. It goes on to say in verse 6 For of this sort are those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women, loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, as Janus and Jambres resisted Moses, so do these also resist the truth, men of corrupt minds. Disapproved concerning the faith. But they will progress no farther. For their folly will be manifest to all. As theirs also was. Again. Quite a description of what's taking place today. Now Paul went on to talk about his example. But you have carefully followed my doctrine. Manner of life. Purpose. Faith. Long-suffering love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Two things there. Number one, there are people even in the midst of a nation which is turned away from god there are people that are living for him i think sometimes people say there's no good politicians i think there are a few they're not necessarily that many but there are those who love god and are seeking to live for him just as in every vocation every area of life we need to make sure that we're that kind of person that we're setting the example but we also need to recognize that if we're godly in Christ Jesus, we will suffer persecution. If we have a society that is described in verses 1 through 9, then in all probability those who are seeking to live for Jesus Christ are going to be persecuted. There is a possibility that that persecution will get worse. There's a possibility that, that the things that we preach that we seek to live might might be outlawed right now I can preach freely I would not be surprised if in 5, 10, 15, 20 years preaching the word of God could get you into big trouble it's happened in countries in Europe I think it could happen here if we don't turn around if we don't have a revival if we don't turn back from God I mean to God Uh, and In in Chronicles it says, If my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, forgive their sins, and heal their land. Is there hope for America? Certainly. Is there hope from America apart from God? I don't believe so. We need to make sure that we are setting the example. We need to recognize that we are have the great possibility of enduring persecution. Verse 13 is an informative verse. But evil men and imposters, 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 I can say it, will grow worse and worse. Aren't things getting worse and worse? It goes on to say deceiving and being deceived. Don't we live in a land in which a lot of deceit takes place? Politicians do a lot of lying. And a lot of us believe what is being said. The interesting thing is that, that sometimes we are willing to listen to other authorities. We're not willing to listen to the word of God. I know that I, I do a lot of traveling. And, and when I travel, often I use GPS. And I I use mainly Google Maps. Let's take a vote. How many of you use Google Maps? How many of you use Apple Maps? Everybody with Google Maps, raise your hand. Okay, everybody Apple Maps, raise your hand. Apple just doesn't cut it when it comes to to maps. But the interesting thing is that even Google Maps is fallible. Has, Has the map program ever asked you to do something sort of dumb? I haven't watched The Office almost at all. I don't think I've ever watched a, uh, that television program through a whole program. But I was watching it one time for just a couple of minutes. And the guy was following GPS, and it said, turn right. He turned right, right into a pond. <laughs> I remember when, when I borrowed somebody's GPS. This was several years ago before, before uh, it was on our phones I think I had a flip phone at that time. And it it basically, I was riding down Highway 5. It said, turn left. I turned left. After a mile, it said, turn right, turn right. After about a half mile, it said, turn right. I turned right. After about a mile, it said, turn left. I turned left on the same road I was on to begin with. The reality is that the authorities in our life Don't always speak the truth. We can't rely on them. But we can rely on God's word. And yet so often we are hesitant to do so. We're talking about scripture today. We'll go on to talk about the inspiration of God's word and so on. But we need to recognize that there are many who are deceiving. And there are many who are being deceived. We need to make sure that we recognize what God's word says about the situation and we live accordingly. I think the big problem is this. Many of them, but let me say this, many of us have an ongoing desire to do what is right in our own eyes, rejecting the authority of God. Wouldn't you agree with that? Now probably we don't see it in ourselves quite as much as we see it in other people. In Judges, this is repeated several times, they did what was right in their own eyes. Why do we do what is right in our own eyes instead of doing what God's word says? Two two reasons. Number one, because of our pride. We think we know what we're talking about. We think that, that our perspective is correct. We think we are right. But I tell you this, if God and I disagree on something, guess who's right? God is. We sometimes go our own way, do what is right in our own eyes, reject the authority of God because of our pride. And sometimes it's because of our selfishness. We want what we want. And if God says no, we don't like it. So we reject his authority. And that is a a problem indeed. Rehoboam. Have you all heard of Rehoboam? If you haven't, you should have been in Sunday school life groups this morning. Because for most of us, the Sunday school lesson was about Rehoboam. Who was the son of Solomon. But he lost the kingdom. Because he was not willing to listen to the counsel of the older and wiser men. He decided he was going to... Listen to the younger men and do what he thought was best. I was talking with Ronnie who have been fun spending time with him over the last couple of weeks. He, he uh, does a Sunday school lesson every week. You can access it on our website. Um, but, but I basically said I think that Re- Rehoboam had two problems. Number one was pride. He thought he was right. And number two was selfishness. He wanted all that tax money. And the reality is that a lot of times we do what is right in our own eyes because of our pride, because of our selfishness. Roe versus Wade was overturned during the course of this week by the Supreme Court. And, of course, there has been a lot of, a lot of discussion about that, contention about that. But, but as, as we think about the Bible, with a biblical mindset, there are a couple of things that are obvious. Number one, life begins at conception. It's interesting that those who were for abortion used to talk about viability. That life didn't begin until the baby was viable. Back then, that was like seven or eight or nine months. So they felt like they could do an abortion up until that point. Well, now some babies are living as early as three or four or five months or something like that. I know Elijah was two pounds, ten ounces when he was born. He was quite early. So the viability is becoming earlier and earlier. The issue is not viability. The issue is conception. When that baby is conceived, that baby has everything it needs to live life. All it needs is nurturing instead of being killed. The only logical conclusion is that life begins at conception. That's a biblical conclusion as well. In Psalm 139, it talks about the fact that God... Knew David in his mother's womb. Same thing in regard to Jeremiah. Same thing in regard to Jesus. Life begins at conception. But number two is this: the taking of life is murder. Now I know that we could we could talk about government, armies, and the fact that that as the the um, instruments of government. When when you take life in that particular situation, you're not committing murder. You're killing someone, but you're not really committing murder because you are acting in in, in a just way uh, doing what the government says. But usually that's not the case when it comes to murder. Murder is killing somebody usually for two reasons, pride or selfishness. I think I'm right, you're wrong. I don't like you saying what you're saying. I'm going to kill you. Or more often than not, it's selfishness. I want what you have or or I want what I want. Therefore, I am going to take life. If life begins at conception, and I believe that we believe that, and the taking of life is murder, then should the government be in the business of forcing its people to support Murder. And I would say no. There are a lot of states in the United States of America that do not want to be in the business of forcing people to support murder. And I'm glad that that's the case. And I'm grateful that it's been overturned. I think we have a a long road in front of us anyway because of the godlessness of society and the resistance to the authority of God's Word. But there are two things we need to keep in mind. As we consider Roe versus Wade being overturned. Number one. We should always be gracious in our attitude. If somebody has had an abortion or or performed an abortion or whatever. They might have sinned. But have we not sinned? And should we forgive? Does God forgive? He certainly does. You know, when God looks down, he sees our sin versus the sins of others. Does he think, well, the sins of others is a lot worse than the sins of the people in the church? I don't think so. Any sin is an affront to God. And if we want to be forgiven, then we need to forgive. So, again, we need to make sure that we are gracious in our attitude. But number two, we need to be gracious, be generous in our help. There are are a lot of people that are going through a tough time. And the option to abortion is often adoption. Do we need to be involved in that? Do we need to be helpful in that? Do we need to be supporting that? We've had various people in our church be involved in Palmetto Women's Center as far as working there. But we've been supportive as a church as well. We need to make sure we continue to be supportive and increase our support. Because people that are going through a difficult time need our help, need our encouragement, need our generosity. But I think as we think about verses 1 through 13, as we think about Roe versus Wade, we need to recognize that the issue is rejecting the authority of God. We have two choices. We can reject the authority of God or we can be receptive To the authority of God. Makes sense doesn't it? It's sort of like a yes no thing. Say yes to God. And say no to the world. Or say yes to the world. And say no to God. The smart thing to do is to say yes to God. Because God knows what he's talking about. And there are three results. Of being receptive to the word of God. Spending time in the word of God. The first one is found in verses 14 through 15. Second Timothy chapter three verse fourteen. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for what's the next word? Salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. The first result of God's word as we spend time in it, as we're receptive to it, is salvation. And I think we need to note two things. Number one, the influence of fam- family. It talks about you know where you learned about it. You, you know where you understood God's word from. And for many of us, it's the same as with Timothy. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse number 5. He's addressing Timothy. And he says, when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you. But then he says, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I am persuaded is in you also. Where did Timothy learn the word of God? He learned it from his mother and from his grandmother. Where's the best place for us to learn the word of God or for us to teach the word of God? If we're parents, we can make a significant difference in the lives of others. Last week I addressed that. Dad was often gone playing baseball. Mom was the one quite often giving the devotions and praying and so on. And and she would pray us to sleep. And we learned, I feel like I learned more about the content of the Bible from her devotions than I did from seminary. Now, I learned a lot in seminary. But as far as Bible content, I learned a lot from my mother. Sometimes we as parents think, well, i just let them grow up and then let them make a decision. If they grow up and then make their decision, in all probability, they're going to make a decision rejecting the authority of God and his word. But if we teach them from an early age, quite often they're going to say yes to Jesus Christ. I agree we don't need to force our kids to do that. You can't force people to do something on the inside. But we need to communicate, we need to share with them the Word of God. We need to encourage them to spend time in God's Word, to learn what it has to say and to do what it has to say. The influence of family is very important in the element of salvation. But there's also the impact of the Word. Verse number 15. From the childhood you've known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation... Through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Where do we learn how to be saved? From the word of God. That's why in Romans chapter 10 it talks about the fact that we need to send people. To communicate the good news of the gospel to a lost and dying world. Romans 1.16 is a verse that you're probably familiar with. Paul said I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. The good news about Christ. It's the power of God unto salvation. So how are we saved? We're saved by responding positively to the word of God and what it says about salvation. The fact that we are sinners and we don't deserve to spend eternity in heaven. But Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins so we can go to heaven if we believe. If you just know one verse, John 3.16, it says that. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish But have everlasting life. We deserve to perish. But we can have everlasting life. If we believe because Jesus died on the cross for our sins. So we need to make sure that we spend time in the gospel. In the good news of Jesus Christ. In the word of God. And it's all about relationship. It's not a matter of doing good works to get to heaven. Instead it's a matter of a relationship with Jesus Christ. That provides salvation, but also enables us to do good works. Again, verse number 15. Look at the last phrase. Salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. We need that relationship with Jesus Christ. As many as received him, to them gave he power to become the children of God, even to them who believe on his name. So one of the results of being receptive to the Word of God is salvation. When we recognize that we're saved by faith in Jesus Christ and we trust Him as Savior, then we're saved. Family has a lot to do with it. But it's our personal decision as we are positively receptive to the Word of God. Number one, salvation. A second result of focusing on Scripture, spending time in Scripture, being receptive to Scripture, is sanctification. Look at verses 16 and 17. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. I think this is a process. It's not a scenario where all of a sudden we snap our fingers and we're like Jesus Christ. But we become more and more like Jesus Christ as we behold him in the word of God. As we spend time in the word of God. As we're receptive to the word of God. Number one, we need to recognize the process. All scripture, God's word, is given by inspiration of God. In other words, it is God. Breathe. Isn't it good to know that we can have confidence in God's word because God's the one who communicated it. In fact, in Second Peter chapter one verse number twenty-one, this is what Peter said: Prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. We believe that God used men to write the Bible but that the Holy Spirit moved them to speak the words that he wanted them to say. It's what the inspiration of Scripture is all about. And we, as Southern Baptists, would agree that God's Word is inspired. God's Word is inerrant in the original manuscripts. In other words, when God gave it to us, it's God's Word, and it's right, and it's without error. And if you do a study of biblical translations and and, and language and so on. The, the various biblical languages. You come to recognize. That 99% plus. Of God's word is in agreement. There are a couple of things that translations say differently. But the content of God's word. And all the major doctrines. They are obvious from God's word. That they are true. So we can have confidence in the process. That God spoke to us. Through holy men that were moved by the Holy Spirit. He inspired His word, But not only do we have the process, we also have the profit. How many of you like the idea of profit? God's word says that God's word, that scripture is inspired and it is profitable. It's good for us. Now I would imagine that when you were children, some of you, when your parents said don't do this, don't do that, or do this and do that. Some of you thought they don't care. They're just doing what is best for them. But those of us who have become parents and grandparents recognize that many of the things that our parents used to say to us were not for their good. They were for our good. And it's the same way with God. God is our loving Heavenly Father. In fact, He didn't spare His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all on the cross. Isn't He going to do what is best for us? And He gives us His Word, and it is best. An example might be a, a train. Uh, of course, trains trains don't think. Heard a, heard a um, dad joke thing. Ronnie does videos at his church, and last week he did dad jokes. And one of the jokes was, what did the banana say to the so-and-so? And, and the person thought for a minute, I don't know. And the guy saying the joke said, he didn't say anything. Bananas can't talk. Whoever laughed, thank you very much for that. And of course, trains can't talk or can't think. But if I was a train, and if I was riding along in some beautiful land, meadows and so on, I might look out to the meadow and think, I'd rather be in that meadow. But if I got off the track and went into the meadow, what would happen? I'd get bogged down. I'd get stuck. I would regret what I did. The reality is that God's word does give us different tracks that we need to follow. It gives us different requirements. But the reason it doesn't is because God made us. He knows what's best for us. So we need to recognize that God's word is profitable even though we might not always understand. It's profitable for doctrine. That has to do with teaching. As we read God's word, we learn various things that have to do with with God, that would be theology that have to do with man, that have to do with missions, that have to do with last time. We, we learn theology as we study God's Word. And that's profitable to know theology. It's profitable to know doctrine. Because how we live is probably going to be based on how we think. And if we think biblically, if our doctrine, our teaching, our instruction is biblical then we're going to probably be doing the things that are right. So the prophet is doctrine, number one. Number two, reproof. How many of you like it when somebody reproves you? I mean, be honest. Somebody comes up and says, you're doing this wrong. How many of you like that? Most of us do not like that. How many of you, when you were younger, in school, you would turn in a test, the teacher would give it back to you, and there were, Red circles all or X's all over the place. That was not fun. But that's one way that you grew. And in a similar way, through God's word, we are reproved. God tells us in his word what we are doing wrong. So that we can do what's right. And that's the next word, correction. Reproof is telling us what we've done wrong. Correction is telling us how to do it right. I think it probably determines, it's determined by our perspective as to whether we are appreciative of reproof and correction or not. If our goal is to please God, then we want to be reproved. We want to be corrected so that we can reach our goal. If our goal is to have fun and do what we want to do, then we might not appreciate reproof. And correction. Whether we appreciate it or not, God's word is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. In other words, God's word tells us how to live a righteous life. And of course, as we look at the New Testament, it makes it obvious that our righteousness is found in Jesus Christ. We can't in our own strength through our own effort, live the Christian life. We've got to depend on Him. We've got to trust Him. According to Philippians chapter 3, verse 9, our righteousness does not come from the law. It comes through faith in Jesus Christ. But God's Word tells us how to live a righteous life. That's just not new to, to the New Testament. It's also in the Old Testament. There's an entire psalm that's written on the Word of God. And I'm just going to read three verses from Psalm 119. Psalm 119. Psalm 119 verses 9, 10, and 11. How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. With my whole heart I have sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. If we want to live for God, then we need to take heed to God's word. We need to be receptive to scripture. We need to to learn, to to meditate, to study, to to memorize scripture so that we can please God. The process, God's word is inspired. Holy men of God spoke as the Holy Spirit moved them. The profit, it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. The product, that the man of God may be perfect, may be complete, thoroughly furnished to all good works. There are two things that happen when we spend time in God's Word. We're receptive to it. We let God's Word do what it needs to in our lives. The first one is character. And when it talks about perfection, it talks about being complete, it doesn't mean that we're sinlessly perfect. God's word makes it clear in 1 John chapter 1 that if we say that we have no sin, if we say that we have not sinned, we are mistaken. All of us sin. The good news is if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But the reality is that we can become more and more mature in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Our character can grow and grow to the point where we are more like Jesus. And spending time in God's Word is part of that process. So when it says that the the man of God may be perfect or may be complete, character is a result of being receptive to the Word of God and spending time in the Word of God. But it's not just character, which is extremely important. It's also conduct. Again, in, in chapter 3 of 2 Timothy, verse number 17, thoroughly equipped for every good work. It's not just what's on the inside, it's what on, what's on the outside as well. Sometimes people focus just on what's on the outside. That would be the Pharisees. They, they try to live an impressive life so people will say, look how impressive that person is. But on the inside, they're not doing too well. Some people feel like you can just be, have good character on the inside, but it doesn't really matter what you do on the outside. Well, the reality is we need both of them, do we not? We need both character and we need conduct as well. Matthew 5:16 says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your, your what? Good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. As we spend time in God's word, it helps us to grow in character. It helps us to grow in regard to our conduct. This goes along with a portion of scripture that we looked at on Wednesday night. In fact, if you will take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 for just a minute. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Talking about overcoming temptation. The first part of the chapter talks about the Israelites during the wilderness wanderings and how poorly they did. And that these things are written for our example so that we can learn from their negative example. But verse number 12 says this, Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. If if we want to live the Christian life, we need to first of all be humble. We need to recognize that when we think we've got our act together, when we think that we are, are doing a pretty good job, that's when we're most liable to fall to temptation. Pride comes, then comes a the fall. So number one, we need to be humble. And humility is necessary to be receptive to the Word of God. But not only do we need to be humble, we also need to trust God. Verse number 13. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. No matter what the temptation is that comes our way, it's common to man. Other people go through the same thing. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but will with the temptation also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. In other words, no matter what temptation comes our way, we do need to be humble, but we need to trust God because God can help us to overcome that temptation. Quite often, the way he helps us is through the word of God. Remember, when Jesus was tempted, Matthew chapter 4, how did he respond to Satan? He said, it is written. There are other ways of escape as well. Joseph ran When he was confronted with temptation. Jesus said watch and pray. Lest you enter into temptation. There's a way to escape. But the key is this. To be humble. And to trust God. And when we do that. It makes all the difference in the world. We're talking about scripture. We live in a a world. Which is rejecting the authority of God. We need to be receptive to God. And to his word. When we do then we can experience salvation. Uh, we, we can recognize the importance of salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. But we can also experience sanctification, which has to do with holy living. It has to do with becoming more like the Lord Jesus Christ. The process, God's Word is inspired. The profit, it's profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness. The product is that we might be complete Thoroughly furnished to all good works. That our character, our conduct might be what God wants it to be. But there is a third thing. We're not going to talk about it today. We're going to talk about it next week. And that is service. Notice when it talks about being thoroughly equipped for every good work. It goes on to talk about service in in chapter 4. We're talking about 2 Timothy chapter 4 verses 1 and following. I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season, out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and teaching and so on. He continues to talk about service. Do you think that service is important? As I look around, I see different people. There, There are a lot of people in this church who serve. Significantly, they're here at the church on a, on, a, on a regular basis, but not only at the church, they're meeting the needs of people around the community, they're serving one another, they're praying for one another, they're doing missions. We need to be involved in that. If we just come to the church on a Sunday morning, sit in the pew, we go home, and it does not impact our lives in the areas of salvation, sanctification, and service. then then we're not being what God wants us to be. The question is, are we receptive to God's word? Are we like the people in verse number 13 of 2 Timothy 3? We're deceiving and we're being deceived. We're more influenced by the world than we are by the word of God. It's interesting, as I, as I look at Scripture, quite often relationship, transformation, and impact come to light. Salvation, through faith in Jesus Christ, that's relationship. And that needs to be our number one priority, is relationship with Jesus Christ. Sanctification, that's transformation. God using His Word to change us and help us to become more like the Lord Jesus Christ. And then service, that's impact making a difference in the lives of others. The fact is, when we have that personal relationship with Jesus Christ, God changes us, He transforms us, and then He uses us. He helps us to make an impact for Him. I guess the question is this. Would you rather be like the world and do your own thing Or would you rather be like the Lord Jesus Christ and do the will of the Father?